Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 9. And here in Numbers 9, we're going to see how Israel, uh, uh, they start their journey in the next chapter. And I love this, what we're seeing here in chapter 9, because you see the desire of the Lord to have intimacy with his people. And it's Old Testament, New Testament. It's the same today. God is the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God never changes. Never changes. Just read Malachi. He even says it. I never change. And it's so beautiful because you see, the Lord's desire is to have oneness with you as well. And what happens here in chapter 9, look at what happens here in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come up out of the land of Egypt, saying. Now, what's interesting here in verse 1, you see, it's the uh, 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 in the first month of the second year. So it's, the, it's like a new year. It's uh, the beginning of new year. Second year too, but the beginning of a new year nonetheless. And we see here, he says, saying in verse 2, Let the children of Israel keep the Passover at the appointed time. Now, the appointed time is the 14th day of the first month. And we see like there's uh, 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 rules that are established in Leviticus 23 verse 5 or reiterated, I should say, in Leviticus 23 verse 5. But it hearkens to uh, what, what we learned in Exodus chapter 12 verse 2. And you see in Exodus 12 the about the Passover. But the reason why I bring up verse 2 is it's the beginning of months for Israel. And I love that so much because, you know, is consider Israel in Egyptian captivity, slavery, uh, enslaved under Egypt. And then all of a sudden, when it's time for freedom, the exodus and leaving Egypt, the Lord tells the people, hey, we're starting fresh. This is the beginning of like we're starting time all over again. Instead of having the Egyptian system of time, we're going to start fresh and boom, it's brand new from here on out. You see, this is your the first month for you. And it's so beautiful. Remember that the, the, the Jewish calendar is uh, lunar. It's not Gregorian. You know, and keep that in mind because, you know, when you look at uh, Old Testament passages and, you know, even prophecy too. Understand that you know that we're, we we look at the uh, lunar calendar, you know, and it's so beautiful because it's established after the Exodus or right at the Exodus, when the Lord says it's brand new, and I love this so much because what we see what happens to a person who is enslaved in Egypt today, metaphorically speaking, but what what happens when a person is in bondage to sin? And then all of a sudden, they become a believer in Jesus Christ. And they themselves have their own personal exodus that the Lord leads them out of Egypt or bondage. And to say to that beautiful creation, that, that beautiful creature, I say creature in the loving sense, that beautiful created being, hey, we're starting fresh, brand new. There's a newness of life here. You know why? Because you're born again. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, brand new. All things made new. What was yesterday was bondage. That's history, past this prologue. This is brand new, starting fresh. And I love that so much because you see that Old Testament example. As New Covenant believers, you see the Old 
Testament example in Exodus chapter 2 or Exodus chapter 12. And in verse 2 is when the Lord says, hey, we're starting fresh. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, new time, beginning of months. In verse 2, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of the month at twilight, you shall keep it at, it at its appointed time according to all the rites and ceremonies you shall keep it. Now, this is according to all the uh, customs, uh, the manner and statutes and ceremonies. It's the order of ordinances. You shall keep it. Remember, all in accordance to the law. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And what's so beautiful here is you see in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. In verse 4, Moses told the children of Israel. You see the obedience of Moses. The Lord speaks to Moses and then Moses tells the people. And you see his obedience, not just his obedience, but you see the oneness that he and the Lord has. He's just the messenger. You remember our studies through the book of Hebrews, and then you see a picture of you know how Moses is a servant in the master's house. Moses as a servant. You know, and I love this because we see also here, you see not only the obedience of Moses, you see Moses as a messenger, but you see the Lord is at work. The Lord is doing the work. That's why you hear me say from time to time, pastors. Jesus Christ is the head pastor. Because a lot of times, pastors like to think, Oh yeah, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm the shot caller. No, 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 no. The pastor of the church, the head pastor of the church is Jesus Christ. He calls the shots. And, he, and you're just a messenger. You know, you're in oneness with, with Him, with Jesus Christ. Intimacy with Him, with Jesus Christ. He says this, you do it. He says, say this, you say it. You tell the people. People might say, oh, that's the Moses model. That's the Moses model. But don't forget, Moses had Aaron. Moses had the Kohanim. Moses had the Levitical priesthood established by the Lord. Because you know why? Moses is going to die. Aaron is going to die. The next, all these people, they're going to die. I mean, you know, it, it, it's appointed for man to, to, to die once and then judgment what about the lineage? What about the genealogies? What about the generations, the future generations, the next generation of righteousness? People say, oh, Moses model, Moses model. Okay, I understand what you're saying when you say that. But the Moses model, Moses wasn't alone. Remember, you say, well, go back further. He was alone. No, he had Joshua. You see? And what we see here in verse um, 4, So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. And now you see the obedience of the people. You see, remember, obedience is a learned thing. You know, sometimes you learn obedience through trial and error or doing and failing. But then at the same time, you learn to trust in the Lord. You might have your own way of conduct in the world. You might have your own way of conduct in your own home. But then when you read the Bible, you start to understand like, whoa, Lord, I, I didn't realize that I was in the wrong. 
You start to read more and more, and he changes you by the power of his Holy Spirit, transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you start to realize like, whoa, Lord, I'm in the wrong. I shouldn't behave this way. I shouldn't be a tax cheat. I shouldn't cheat my employer. I shouldn't beat on my wife. I shouldn't beat on my kids. I shouldn't, you know, provoke them to anger. I shouldn't do this. And you know what you do? You repent. Lord, forgive me. No, I'm using big ticket items like I shouldn't do this. I use big ticket items, but yeah, the, 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 the concept still applies. You could say, oh, this is a big deal or this is a little deal. I don't care the size of the deal. I'm talking about changing, transforming and unto the Lord. Being transformed into his image. Conformed to the image of his son. Just as Romans 8 teaches us. But when we fight that, when we fight the Holy Spirit, when we resist the work of the Holy Spirit, where does that transformation happen? How can it happen? How can we be conformed to the image of his son? If you and me, if we refuse, it doesn't work that way. Both you and me, we're in the same boat. You and me, we have to yield to the word of God, yield to the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, transformation comes by renewing of our minds the power of the Holy Spirit being conformed to the image of His Son, as is written in Romans 8. Fulfillment of His word in your life, in my life. Intimacy. Oneness. Marriage. You say, whoa, what are you talking about marriage? Listen to our study in Romans 7. That's what I'm talking about. You see? All things are written, and every jot and every tittle will come to pass will come to pass some of you know has already happened some of the uh prophecies some of the promises of the word of god they've already come to pass but there's more but you look at israel here and you see obedience of the people what i mean they're about to start their journey through the wilderness but what a journey already up until this point what a journey already to learn obedience and it's been about, you know, it's the beginning of the second year after they come out of the land of Egypt. So in the course of a year. Now, in that year time frame, there was the golden calf. You know, there was, you know, going through the, uh, 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 the Red Sea, passing on dry ground through the ocean. You see, and little campsites that were, you know, that where they camped out. Murmuring and complaining. The golden calf. Moses gone for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, unbeknownst to the people, he was communing with the Lord. He was speaking to the Lord. They thought he died, so they built the golden calf. And I love this so much because, uh, wow, what a difference a year makes. And here we are starting a new year for us in, in, in the world today. And you know what a difference a year makes. Now, I don't, you might have been walking with, you might be stronger in Christ today, or you might be weaker in Christ today, or you might even be a non-believer today. But you know what? What a difference a year makes. Past this prologue. Starting fresh, brand new. I don't know where your walk is with the Lord. 
I pray that you do have a walk with the Lord. I pray that your walk with the Lord is stronger than it was yesterday, than it was last year. But in this, you know, this new year that we're having, let us remember that our journey with the Lord, how we can grow, how we can mature, and how we do desire to grow and mature. And not for the sake of having knowledge, which puffs up if you hearken to our study on Sunday. But to have this knowledge and to use this knowledge. But remember, knowledge is just one of many tools. Love is the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love, which we're going to study, you know, when we get into the Corinthian letters. And sometimes we learn through trial and error. Sometimes we learn by doing and failing, trialing and trying and failing. You know, I'm in a camp that says there's no greater, greater teacher than failure. You know, in, in, in a worldly sense, I mean, the greatest teacher is the word of God. But in, a, in an applicational sense, failure is a great teacher. And maybe you're in a situation where you failed. Me personally, I hate failure. I can't stand failure, which was, you know, attributed to a lot of the problems I had along, you know, 20 years ago because I hated failure. I had no idea how to cope with it, how to deal with it. And it was right then and there where the Lord saw me. A lot of times, you know, I talk to non-believers. It's like, you know, they don't know how to cope with certain things. They'll talk with counselor this, counselor that, therapist this, therapist that. And you know what a lot of so-called doctors like to do? They like to pass out the pills. Talk to veterans. Talk to veterans. Go to the VA hospital. Men and women who have come back from violent situations. They come back and they're in the civilian world. And it's like, wow, it's like it, they can't cope with the civilian world because of the things that they've been exposed to. They talk to the therapist, you know, government-sanctioned therapist, and they just pass out the pills like candy. Nice little cocktail. There's zombies walking around. They have no idea how to cope with things, with cope with life, cope with existence in the civilian world. And I'm talking about veterans, but everybody. Without Christ, without the knowledge of the Word of God, you know, how can, how can a person, how do you expect a person to understand how to cope with life? How do you expect them to know? How do you expect them to call upon the name of the Lord? Unless the preachers are sent. Just as the word of God teaches us in Romans 10. How we expect people to cry out to the Lord when they don't even know the Lord. You see, just like Romans 10 teaches, how beautiful are, are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. See? And so look what happens here in verse 6. A problem arises. In verse 6, now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. Remember, see, Moses isn't alone. They came before Moses and Aaron. So people say, oh, Moses model, Moses model, Moses model. What's the Moses model? You see, he has Aaron. Oh, before that. It was him and Joshua. Before that, he still had Aaron. Before that, the bush, you know, the Moses model, he, he always had this accompaniment. Actually, you know, 
before Aaron, his wife, Zipporah, beautiful, beautiful Zipporah. Remember, the Lord wanted to kill Moses. Don't forget, the Lord wanted to kill Moses. Because the giver of the law, the, the vessel that the law was to be given, Moses, was breaking the law because his sons weren't circumcised. And Moses was going about his merry way. The Lord was like, okay, I'm going to kill him. And Zipporah, the intercession of his bride, the intercession of his wife. How beautiful is Zipporah? Grabs some rocks, grabs a you know, sharp stone, circumcises child number one, circumcises child number two, and throws the foreskins at the feet of Moses. Oh, man, what a lady. In her intercession, in her service unto the Lord, she saved her husband. You know, what a beautiful uh, example for wives. An encouragement for women, my sisters in Christ. When do you see Moses like, you know, oh, the Moses model. When is he? When is he alone? Moses model. When, you know, oh, uh, you know... Uh, at the golden calf, you know, jo uh, Joshua was with them after the golden calf. Aaron was with them. The Levitical priesthood was established. Oh, before that, Joshua, before that, Zipporah, before that, the bush. Before that, he wasn't even called. You see, the Moses model is beautiful. And so in, in, in a lot of people attribute the Moses model, as you know, one guy leading, but then you see the Moses model. And what do you see? The Lord is leading. Don't forget, Moses is going to die. Aaron's going to die. All these people are going to die. But what's established? The Kohanim, the Levitical priesthood, all in service unto the Lord to help Israel be right with him, have peace with him. Even still, this problem arises in the camp. That there were certain men in verse 6 who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. Now, thus far, we see that there are laws for carcasses. You know, don't hang around these carcasses. Don't be with these carcasses in Leviticus 11. But that pertains to animals. In Leviticus 21, verse 11, we see the high priest. You know, don't be around dead bodies for the high priest. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 6, we see the Nazarite vow. You know, don't be around dead bodies. Technically speaking, the rule of avoiding dead bodies is given later in Numbers 19, verse 11. We're going to study that in a couple weeks. So what does that tell us about these certain men? These certain men who most likely... There are, I mean, you could say, well, you know, the Lord is preparing Israel for a future law. But this law of avoiding the dead isn't people. I mean, there's avoiding carcasses of animals, but uh, avoiding uh, human dead. You know, that's given in a couple more chapters, chapter 19 to be specific. Verse 11 with more specificity. So what does that tell us? Either the Lord is preparing them for a future law. Which I can understand, but me personally, these certain men, 
I think that they are either people who have taken the Nazarite vow or people in the camp of the Kohanim. That's future of, of, of the, the, the family of Aaron. People are, the family of Moses too. I mean, they were brothers. The Kohanim are very special people. But the rules and the laws, the statutes were given for these people don't be around dead bodies. The Kohanim and then also the Nazareth, people who've taken the Nazarite vow. Don't be around dead bodies, humans. Not carcasses, for the for the people, for everybody. You know, carcasses, there's certain carcasses you don't want to be around. That's Leviticus 11, in accordance with the law. Not advocating the law, I'm just, you know, in accordance with the law. For the entirety of Israel, that's coming in, in Numbers 19, in a couple more chapters. So these certain men... Most likely, they've taken the Nazarite vow or they are in the camp of the Kohanim. Possibly even Levites too. But I could understand if someone were to say possibly Levites, but most likely Kohanim or the Nazarite vow based on what we've studied already. And what I love so much about verse 6 is that they could not keep the Passover, but somebody told them. Somebody told them, hey guys, this isn't for you. This beautiful, beautiful Old Testament, not example, but this Old Testament uh, attribute, something that points to Jesus Christ, the Passover, the early stages of, uh, this is like Passover number two. The first one was when they were in Egypt, but this is Passover number two. And all of a sudden it's like, hey guys, you can't partake of this. Something very special, very holy, a convocation unto the Lord. Hey guys, I'm sorry, you can't partake of this. You see, loving God more than people. It's a beautiful thing for you and me to love people. It's It's biblical. It's a command of the Lord. Love people. But never, never love people more than God. That's how a lot of denominations get into trouble. Lutherans, Methodists, Episcopals, they get in. They've, they, not only do they get in trouble, they get into a lot of trouble. And they've gotten into a lot of trouble. Because what does the Word of God teach? What does the Word of God say? It's beautiful to love people, but if a person starts to love people more than the Lord, you know, all of a sudden the Lord goes on the back burner and the people goes on the front burner. That's not good. That's when you're called a man pleaser. You're a people pleaser and you're not a God pleaser. You have to be a God pleaser first. You love God first with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and then you love people. And that's what's so beautiful here about verse 6. Somebody told these guys, hey guys, oh, they're Kohanim, they're special. That's nice. Hey guys, you can't take the par partake of the uh, uh, of uh, Passover. You can't do the Passover. Oh, oh, but they've taken the Nazarite vow. They're special. That's nice. Hey guys, you can't partake of this Passover. Somebody told them. I don't know who it was. It could have been Aaron, could have been Moses. I don't know. But somebody told them. You know what's so beautiful about this? Somebody in the camp. It might have been Aaron. It might have been Moses. It might have been somebody else. Maybe another Kohanim. Maybe somebody else who took the Nazarite vow. But because this other person, whoever it was, because they knew the rules. 
the statutes, the ordinances. Not just of the Passover, but of the Nazarite vow, uh, 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 the, the Kohanim for the high priest. Because they knew that, they were able to help this person. They were able to not just intercede for this person, but intercede for the camp. Why? Because sin was avoided from the camp. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? You hear me talk about pulpit Christians and pew Christians, and I don't mean to uh, uh, to say that in an offensive matter, manner, like, uh, like, you know, these guys are special and these guys are not special, or these guys are better and these people are not better. I don't mean to come off that way. But for us, for you and me, to make this distinction of pulpit Christians and pew Christians, me personally, this is going to sound like a heavy indictment on leadership, but in some cases, I see a, a way more righteousness in the pulpits or in, in the pews than I do in the pulpits. Because a lot of what I see in the pulpits, they're yeah, people pleasers, man pleasers, instead of God pleasers. And don't forget, what comes out of the pews are the future pastors, future elders, future ministry leaders, and sometimes active ministry leaders. Everybody's in ministry. Look at Philip. Philip, in our study in the book of Acts, what was his official? I mean, he didn't have, he served in tables. He was one of the seven chosen to serve in tables. And then all of a sudden he became an evangelist. He started churches. You see, and, and he didn't have like an official title like, oh, this is uh, Pastor Philip. This is Elder Philip. No, he was in service unto the Lord. And he had his four beautiful prophetess, prophetess daughters. You see? The home. How beautiful. It's, it's wonderful to see this, to read this. And what an encouragement it is. If you're, you know, a believer, and then you're, you're like, oh, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder. That's nice. What is your service unto the Lord? What about when there's another brother in sin, another sister in sin, and you say, hey, you know, cut this out. This isn't good before the Lord. Just like whoever it was who told this to this certain men who were defiled by a, certain, by a human corpse. Somebody told them. And what an encouragement it is if you think, like, oh, I'm just in the pews. I can't be used of the Lord. No, they're rubbish. Rubbish. You can be used of the Lord. And I desire to be you to be used of the Lord. And you know what? The Lord desires to use you. But the question is, you know, how come the Lord isn't using me? How come the Lord isn't using me? Well, how empty are you? Empty of self. See, that's why we reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. We carry our cross, which is our instrument of death. The very tool of death. Picture, you know, I like to say it like this where, you know, you're say you're uh, 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 sentenced to death by firing squad. And there's like five guys that are leading you up a hill. And, you know, there are you know, five guys leading you up a hill. And at the top of the hill, there's a, that's where they're going to they put you up against a wall and they're going to shoot you right there dead. Kind of violent, but I don't mean to be violent, but this is how I like to think. I mean, not to think violently, but think of in terms of carrying our cross, which is an instrument of death. And then you take those guys, you say, here, guys, let me hold your rifles for you. 
You know, they take the magazines out. Maybe they don't trust you, you know. Let me carry your rifles for you. All five rifles. And those rifles are what you're carrying up there. Let me lighten your load, guys. You don't have to carry these rifles. Let me carry them for you. And you go up the hill. And you're carrying five rifles for these guys. What natural man, what natural woman would do such a thing? None. Because it's supernatural. And that's the life of a Christian. Supernaturally walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we carry our cross, our instrument of death. And as we carry our cross, understand what our cross really is. That's the cross that we're going to be crucified with Christ on. That's why Paul says, you know, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's Paul that said that. When we looked at those passages, I specifically said, that's Paul who said that. That's Paul who said that. Not that that can't be applied to you and me. But the question is, how dead are you? How dead am I? I mean, if I'm living for myself, if you're living for yourself, can you really say you are crucified with Christ? Honestly, I'm, I'm at, you know, oh, don't judge me. Don't, I'm not, I'm, I haven't condemned anybody to hell. I haven't crenoed anybody. I haven't said to anybody, you're going to go to hell. You're going to, no, no. But if you're living for yourself, I'll be honest with yourself. You know, you're doing your drugs, you're going to strip club, you're getting drunk, doing all these things, having all the quote-unquote fun. And I say, I see these things because they're like big ticket items when I throw these things out. But the, the concept still applies. The pleasure, the pleasing of the flesh. And if that is you, be honest. Can you really say that you are crucified with Christ? Because that was me about 20 years ago, give or take a couple years. Actually, about 25. Living for myself. And when I was honest with myself, I could say, I am not crucified with Christ. Even as a believer, I am not crucified with Christ. Why? Because I had not reckoned the old man dead. And I had not been carrying my cross, the instrument of my death. You see, that's what I'm talking about. And you, be honest with yourself. Are you crucified with Christ? You say, well, I don't know. Are you carrying your cross? Uh, I think I am. Have you reckoned the old man dead? Have you reckoned the old woman dead? Well, what do you mean? Well, say, you know, you're a believer, you're walking with Christ. Don't forget that it is new wine that pours into wineskin. But what is the condition of that wineskin? Is that wineskin old wineskin, your old nature? Because if that's the case, little holes are going to form in that wineskin because it cannot hold new wine. And so you're going to, if that's you, you're going to receive beautiful, beautiful new wine. But then at the same time, something's going to happen. 
little holes are going to form and that new wine, which is beautiful and lovely, is going to pour right out. It's not good. In order for that new wine to pour in and stay in, you have to be new wineskin. You have to be new wineskin, which means your old has to be reckoned dead. Now, it's still going to pour out, except it's going to pour out of the top because you're full of new wine. When you're old wineskin, it's going to pour out of the bottom. That's not good. But when you're new wineskin, new wine, it's going to pour out of the top. That means you're full of new wine. It's going to pour out of the top and it's ministry unto others. You're going to pour into other wineskins, new wineskins. And if you're pouring into old wineskins, you're going to tell them, hey, don't be an old wineskin. Just like whoever told this, these certain men, hey, don't take the Passover, guys. This isn't for you. Why? Well, you know, the Nazarite vow says this. Uh, the the, the uh, rule of the high priest, the Kohanim, says this. You see? Don't forget that Aaron's two sons were killed because they offered strange fire unto the Lord. And the Lord consumed them with fire. And I don't mean to scare anybody by saying, oh, don't forget the Lord killed these guys. No, but think about the fear that that uh, spread in the camp. Like, whoa. This lineage of the Kohanim, what a special people. And special in terms of what their ministry was unto the Lord. But not special in terms of being greater than the Lord. Special in terms of the purpose. And then we see a picture of the fear that that's like, well, like, well, the Lord did this with them. Whoa, I'm not going to mess. I'm not going to mess with the Lord. I'm going to do exactly what he says in accordance to his law. What a beautiful difference in the camp of Israel, a camp that previously they wanted the golden calf and they worshiped the golden calf. This is a different Israel. Not like before. Past this prologue. And so we get to verse 7. And those men said to, said to him, We became defiled by a human corpse. So they go to they go before in the end of verse 6, they go before Moses and Aaron. And, and in verse 7, and those men said to him, We became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at the appoint, at its appointed time among the children of Israel? So now we see inquiry is made. Hey, Moses. Hey, Aaron. Yeah, we had contact with a dead body, a, a human corpse. So what, what's happening? Why, are we, why can't we do this? Notice present tense. Why are we? Present tense. Not why did we or why will we. It's why are we? Present tense. You see, so it's. The same day, we're seeing like in real time what's happening. And I say real time if we were in a, you know, a time. A lot of times when I read, when we study, it's kind of like in real time. You hear me? I mean, this is like, you know, way in history. But a lot of times I speak in the here and now. Because, you know, it's like, wow, you see in real time, the Lord, the hand of the Lord with his people. I know that this is history, but I say real time because it's like, wow, look how intimate the Lord was with the people back then, but how intimate the Lord is with his people today of both Jew and Gentile. You see? Present tense. What? Moses, Aaron, 
Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord? Why can't we be with the people? The people are doing this. Why, what, 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 what's up? Why can't we do this? We love the Lord. We fear the Lord. Why can't we do this? And what's so beautiful here, look what Moses says in verse 8. And Moses said to them, Stand still, that I may hear, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. How beautiful is this? To wait on the Lord and to seek him. And not only that, but to tell these guys, to tell these certain men, stand still. I mean, imagine the commotion. I mean, the camp of Israel, they're, they're partaking of Passover. And, you know, somebody tells these guys, hey, this isn't for you. You can't do that. And then they come running to Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. How come we can't do this? Aaron, Aaron, how come we can't do this? We desire to do this. Look, we love the Lord. We fear the Lord. We're ready to go. And why can't we do this? Causing a commotion, causing a stir. And what does Moses say? Hey, stand still, guys. Stand still, guys. That I may hear. You see? Moses wants to seek the Lord. What a beautiful message for pastors. Elders. In leadership. People in leadership. Because a lot of times what I've seen in church leadership is that they take a business approach to leadership. You know, oh, like a corporate mindset, you know, I'm CEO or I'm the director of this. I'm the, you know, the CFO of this or the COO of this or the, you know, whatever. This is my role. This is my title in the church. And I'm going to read all this, these business uh, books and how to do this and how to do this. And all, everything's business. And that's what we're going to apply in the church. But you know what? Jesus Christ as the head pastor, you know what that means? He calls the shots. He's the CEO. Him and him alone. Problems arise in church. I fully understand that. But when a problem arises in a fellowship, where is the man who will say, Pastor, I'm speaking of pastors or elders. Where is the man who will say, hey guys, stand still. A husband and wife comes to you, hey, we got problems. Stand still, guys. A guy comes to you, hey, stand still, guy. A lady comes to you, stand still, lady. Sister, you know, brother, you know. Stand still, hold on. Let's calm down. I want to hear what the Lord has to say. Let's wait on the Lord. That's what's so beautiful about Moses here. Stand still. That I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Personal. Personal. The Lord is very interested about things, matters concerning you. And I'm not speaking about, you know, like in the uh, 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 third person, like Moses unto these people and, you know, unto the Lord. But I'm speaking about you and me today. And we're in the same boat. The Lord is very concerned about your life. Matters concerning you. And I know that there's a lot of commotion. I know that there's people who say this. I know that there's all these influences who say this. All these people who give their input. Oh, do this, do this, do this. Oh, say this, say this, say this. And it's just noise. Noise. 
And you say, hold up. Stand still. Pipe down. I want to hear what the Lord has to say. You see? And I say this is a strong message for pastors because a lot of pastors, they like to say, well, you know, they, you know, they apply a business model. But when problems arise in the church, you know what you do? You seek the Lord. And problems will arise in church. I mean, it's kind of shocking the problems that arise in the church. Our pastor in California, my, my pastor in California always used to say, if everybody was obedient to the word of God, he said, I wouldn't have, a, I wouldn't have to counsel anybody. I wouldn't have to counsel, you know, married couples. I wouldn't have to counsel business people. I wouldn't have to counsel, you know, this, this person in this work situation. I wouldn't have to counsel this person, this lady, this lady, this guy, this guy. I wouldn't have to counsel anybody if everybody was obedient to the word of God. That's what he would say. And I thought like, wow, that's like, what? I mean, like, that's kind of his job, you know? But then I started to think about it. It's like, man, you know what? He's right. And how true it is for you and me today. It's not an abdication of pastoral responsibility. But it's for all of us, myself included, to have this understanding of obedience unto the Lord. His way is better than my way, is better than your way. Always the Lord's way. In accordance with His word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when these problems arise, who will you seek? You seek the Lord. Lord, what do I do? What do I do, Lord? You don't know the Bible. Who do you seek? Seek your pastor. Pastor, I need help. I got this problem. Now, a pastor, a carnal pastor, don't go to that guy. Oh, my pastor's female. He teaches me and my husband. He teaches this. Okay, you're in the wrong because you have a female pastor teaching men. It's biblically, the, the equation doesn't work that way. Oh, my pastor says it's okay to go grave soaking. I'm going to seek counsel from him. No, he's in the wrong. You see, that's why problems beget problems, beget problems, beget problems, because people try to apply a carnal solution to a spiritual problem. You can't do that. You see, talk to your pastor, talk to your elder, the godly ones. And I hate to say that because I wish I could say, talk to your pastor, talk to your elder, period. I wish I could say that. But you know what? I can't. You seek counsel from the godly ones. You seek help from the godly ones. Which, a lot of times, you know, that's the journey of a Christian. That's the journey of a Christian, finding a godly pastor. Finding a pastor. That's the journey. A lot of times. The majority of times. You see, look at Moses here. Stand still, guys. Pipe down. I need to hear that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Very personal. In verse 9, the Lord speaks. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Notice, so it's personal to these certain men. Possibly guys who've taken the uh, a Nazarite vow, uh, possibly of the camp of the Kohanim, but it's applicable for all. 
speaking to speak to the children of Israel saying, if any one of you or your posterity or your generations, your family lineage is unclean because of a corpse. So boom, this is the beginning of human corpses being considered unclean for the camp of Israel. Before it was for certain people, a smaller minority of people. Now it's for the aggregate is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey. Here's the solution. He may still keep the Lord's Passover. Wow. You see? He may still keep the Lord's Passover and, you know, put yourself in these guys' shoes, these certain men. Hey, guys, you can't take the Passover. It's not for you. Don't do this. Don't do this. Oh, they run to Moses. They run to Aaron. Hey, guys, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? We're ready to go. We want to do that. Hold on, guys. Let's seek the will of the Lord. Let's seek the face of the Lord. Calm down. I need to hear what the Lord is going to say. And it's not like, you know, you know, hold on, guys. Let's wait on the Lord and let's wait, you know, 20 years for the Lord to speak. No, boom. Verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses. Intimacy with the Lord. That's the beauty of intimacy with the Lord. You seek the Lord, boom, answer. Intimacy with Him. You're not carnal. You're not a hypocrite. You're living before the Lord. You're living in honor of the Lord. You're carrying your cross. You're, you're crucified with Christ. And then you cry out to Him. Lord, there's this problem that has arisen. Lord, there's this issue in the camp. There's this something is, this thing is brewing in the church. Boom, answer. You see, intimacy. He may still keep the Lord's Passover. Verse 10. Now verse 11. On the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. That's the instruction. Not the first month, on the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So it's almost like similar uh, proceedings in accordance with the ordinances, except the timing is different. Second month, not the first month, second month. You see? What do we see here in verse 6 through 11? You see in verse 6, the problem. In verse 7, you see the inquiry. In verse 8, you see the, you know, wait and seek. Seek the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Seek the Lord. In verse 9, you see God speaks. And then in verse 10, you see the solution. He may still keep the Passover. But then in verse 11, you see the specific instructions. This is what you must do. What a beautiful model for you and me when we have problems to seek the face of the Lord. Maybe you don't know your Bible and you still need counsel. You know what? Seek your pastor, seek your elder. And they will seek the Lord on your behalf. The godly ones. And may you seek the, uh, uh, a worldly pastor, a carnal pastor, a hypocrite pastor or elder. They're not going to give you godly things because they're living themselves ungodliness and in ungodliness. Their life is ungodly. Oh, how do you how can you say that? How can you say that? Well, I know pastors who like they they drink alcohol and they like to have a buzz. 
People in ministry, they like to drink alcohol and they like to have a buzz. Pastors who are involved in all kinds of wickedness. All kinds of wickedness. A lot of sexual stuff. A lot of drug stuff. A lot of alcohol stuff. A lot of pornography. And they are compromised. Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Who's judging? Who's ju- When did I say they're going to burn in hell? Now, anybody who doesn't repent, you know, anybody who doesn't have Jesus Christ will burn in hell. But when did I say this guy's going to burn in hell? I haven't judged. There's no judging. But what I've done, I've taken the plank out of my own eye. And I see clearly. You need to seek a godly pastor who will seek the Lord. You see? That's counsel. That's biblical counsel. To see, to, to receive counsel. Then the pastor comes back to you, the elder comes back to you, says, Look, you know, we're praying for the, we're praying, you know, corporately, you, me, we're praying for the for the Lord to answer. We're seeking the will of the Lord. Let's be patient together. Let's stay in the word. You know, how's your life before the Lord? You know, are you doing drugs? Are you an alcoholic? You know, are you uh, pornography? Are you a sex head? Oh, yeah, you know, pastor, yeah, I am dealing with this. Well, you need to repent and you need to be clean. Why? So that we can stand still and we can hear of the Lord. You need to be clean before him. How beautiful is this biblical model? Because problems will arise in life all the time. Problems do arise. It's life. We're we're not in paradise, you know. Paradise is going to be a beautiful place. And it is a beautiful place. But we're in the world. This is the world, you know. It's not paradise. People like to think, oh, you know, this is paradise. People go on vacations. Oh, yeah, I'm going to vacation in paradise. That's not paradise. That's garbage compared to the real paradise. Garbage. We're in this world. We're just passing through. We're sojourners in this world. So what do we see? This problem arises. We see inquiry is made. You see the waiting and seeking on the Lord. You see how the Lord speaks. The solution is given. Instructions are given. Now the ball's in your court, guys. You see? These certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. The ball's in your court, guys. The Lord has given instruction. Now, you have to do it. Or don't do it. The choice is yours. The Lord doesn't make robots. It's the exact same thing with us, with you and me. The Word of God says this. The Word of God says that. And then you and me, we have a choice to make. Okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. In service unto you, in obedience unto you, or, oh, you know what? I I, I don't want to do that. that. That's too. You know what? I I, I like this better. I like the, whatever this is. I like my alcohol better. I like my drugs better. I like being a tax cheat better. You know, it's better for my bottom line. So I know, Lord, that you say this, but I'm gonna do this. It's a little different. I'm gonna do it my own way. You see. 
problems beget problems beget problems beget problems and the whole time disobedience is amplified that's not good where is the pastor where is the elder in situations like that, when you have a pastor or an elder or ministry leaders, church leadership who are man-pleasers over being a God-pleaser, people in ministry who love people more than they love God, do you think they're going to correct such a person? No way. And problems beget problems, beget problems, beget problems. And leaven leavens the bunch. And problems are amplified in the body. And this, which is deemed as okay, carnally speaking, this is deemed okay, sanctioned by the pastors, sanctioned by church leadership. This is okay. Problems beget problems. It's amplified. And then all of a sudden, you have rotten fruit in the church. You see? It's not good. The same thing happens to Israel. We're seeing these beautiful passages right now in Numbers. And I don't want to like, you know, be a Debbie Downer and say like, well, you know, this is good, but it turns bad. But not to be a Debbie Downer, but that's what happens. We're going to see it in a couple chapters. How beautiful this is, but we're going to see things start to change a little bit. In some ways, a lot of bit. And in a lot of ways, a little bit. <laughs> But don't forget, in the Minor Prophets, the Lord calls Israel a harlot, a whore. And forgive me for speaking in those connotations. But when you look at the translations, that's exactly... I mean, some translations, like, sometimes I don't even say what the translation really says. I mean, if I say what the translation really says, you'll, like, stop listening. You're like, whoa, that's too vulgar. But, I mean, you know, the Hebrew says this, the Greek says this, Aramaic says this. Sometimes I don't even say it. I, I, I kind of, you know, allude to that, but I don't say it. Why? For your sake. But the Lord calls Israel a whore, a harlot. And don't forget, the church is going to be under the same conditions in the last days. Harlotry, spiritual harlotry, harlotry, playing the harlot. Why? Because you have a whole bunch of man-pleasers, people-pleasers, people who love man, people who love people instead of loving God. It's both, yes, love, love God and love people, but it's always God first, always. Because when people go crazy, you can tell them, you can warn them, you can plead with them, you can urge them. And if they're still crazy and they go off into crazy town, you know what? Because you love the Lord, you're not in crazy town. You're in Goshen. Oneness with the Lord, intimacy with the Lord. And the people, they make their choice. And it's going to break your heart. But you are safe. Your family is safe. Because you made a choice. Look at verse 12 here. 
They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. So according to all the ordinance of the Passover, let's go to Exodus chapter 12 really quick. Exodus chapter 12. And here in... Here in Exodus 12, verse 43, Exodus 12, 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. So it's not for the foreigner. It's not for the foreigner. When you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, Let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. You see? No foreigner, no stranger shall partake unless they are circumcised, is what is written. And then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. You see? Do you remember our study in Romans chapter 2 about the circumcision? Belief in Jesus Christ. An Old Testament example of a future promise. Jesus Christ. And not just Jesus Christ. You. You. Circumcised unto the Lord. Circumcised heart unto the Lord. Listen to our study through Romans 2. The circumcision. Your walk with Jesus Christ, male or female, Christianity, biblical Christianity, is the only the, the only path where a female, my sisters in Christ, can be circumcised. Because it's your heart. It's your heart. This is straight up Exodus 12. And there are implications for the church. There are implications for you and me today. Not to go back and perform the law and do the works of the law. That's the Hebrew roots movement. That pulls away from the cross. But to understand that even at such an early state in the camp of Israel, there are provisions in the law, which is a promise in fulfillment of the promise that the Lord gave to Abraham, heirs of Abraham, in accordance to the promise that the Lord gave him. Remember, Abraham, look up at the stars. Abraham was an old man. He had an old wife who was barren, no kids. And the Lord is telling him, Abraham, in the evening sky, look up at the stars, Abraham. Your descendants are going to be more than these stars. What? What? An old man, an old wife, she's barren. And the Lord is telling him, 
look up at the stars. You see? And by faith, it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. Because he believed. You see? Circumcision. To my brothers, circumcision of heart. To my sisters, circumcision of heart. Set apart and consecrated unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, turn with me to John, the book of John, chapter 19. <clears throat> John 19. And here in John 19, verse 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, this is the preparation day of the Passover. That the this is Jesus Christ is, you know, he's on the cross, but he's already died. In verse 31, therefore, because it was the preparation day of the Passover, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. I wonder if some of these religious leaders, I wonder if some of these religious establishment people, if they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. There are passages which elude that. But I wonder if they're trying to prevent the prophecies from coming to pass. Why? Because they liked being the religious establishment. They liked their high seat, so to speak. Of the camp of uh, uh, Levitical priesthood and the Kohanim. Trying to prevent the prophecies. They asked the, 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 uh, that their legs might be broken. In verse 32, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Wow. How beautiful is this? And I don't mean beautiful like, you know, the death and how beautiful the, uh, the bones weren't broken, but in fulfillment of prophecy, in fulfillment of the promise. It's verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows what he is, that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. Circumcision. If you are uncircumcised, uncircumcised, not fleshly, I'll put it in another term, in another phrase. If you are a non-believer, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, be circumcised. Believe in him because God loves you. If you do believe, but you're playing games with the Lord. You haven't reckoned the old man dead, reckoned the old woman dead. You're not even carrying your cross. It's not to say, hey, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. It's to say, hey, get in the boat. Let's be circumcised together. Let's believe together and not just believe, but let's be obedient together in the same boat. Don't be a carnal believer. Don't be a hypocritical believer. Be sanctified and consecrated and set apart for the Lordship of Jesus Christ.
get in the boat. You see? Verse 36, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. The Passover lamb, capital L, the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced. You see that the scripture might be fulfilled. That the scripture should be fulfilled and that the scripture is fulfilled Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. A propitiation for your sin, for my sin. You see? Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 9. Numbers 9. Verse 13. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people. Whoa, that's heavy. So you have a man who's clean, hasn't been exposed to a dead body. He's not on a journey, so he's in the camp. He's not outside the camp. He's in the camp. He can, he's able to partake of the Passover. But then if he ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring, he did not do. He did not do. I'll say it again. He did not do. Say, wait a second. Okay, I get it. Why are you saying that? Well, do you really get it? Do we really get it? Because we're in the same boat. We are to be hearers of the word and also doers of the word. You and me. Because if we're hearers of the word only, where does application of the word apply to our lives? Where is it that we then become new wineskins? To be a hearer of the word only, that's not good. You and me both, we have to be doers of the word. What does it look like to be a doer of the word? Well, we have a great cloud of witnesses set before us. Look at Moses. We have a Moses model. We have an Aaron model. You see? And, you know, look at these certain men who were defiled, verse 6, certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. It's not to say, wow, shame on them, shame on them. They didn't know, they, you know, they didn't know, like, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? So what did they do? They sought counsel. You see? Let's look at verse 13. That same person shall be cut off from among his people because they did not do. Now, what was it that they had to do? They did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. Now, you read this, you're like, whoa, that's heavy. That person shall be cut off. But now that we officially have the backdrop of Romans 11. Remember Romans 11, our study in Romans 11, where I specifically said everything hinges on belief. I even said it when we were in chapter 9, Romans 9. Referring to Romans 11, everything hinges on belief. And you know, God cuts people off. God cuts certain factions off. 
but then he's able to graft them in again. Why? Because of belief. And belief evokes obedience. Obedience unto Jesus Christ. Obedience unto the word of God. Can you see, my friend? Can you see, my beloved brother? Can you see, my beloved sister? I pray the answer is yes. Because these are beautiful, beautiful passages. Yes, in the law. Yes, in the Old Testament. And how beautiful it is to see these things open up and just blossom off these pages for our edification as the bride of Christ. In verse 14, and if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, remember, they have to be circumcised. Exodus 12, verse 48, they have to be circumcised. Remember, a stranger, a foreigner, you know, cannot do Passover, cannot partake of Passover. No, it's not for them. In the law, except if they're circumcised. Belief. The grafting in. Remember Romans 11? Remember, it is not the branch that supports the root. It's the root that supports the branches. So if the stranger dwells among you and will keep the Lord's Passover, he must do. You see? He must do. Let us be hearers of the word. And doers of the word. Not hearers only. Both. The two work together, just like faith and works. The two work together. Not works for salvation. Remember, Romans 1, uh, works is a debt. But just as Brother James, when he says faith and works, he points to Abraham. When you read the account in Genesis, you see Abraham, you see the voice of the Lord, you see Abraham doing, hearing and doing. What does that mean? Obedience. Faith and obedience. Belief and obedience. The two work together. And so look what happens here. He must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native of the land. You see how beautiful this is? One ordinance for both Jew and Gentile. One. Circumcision. Now, I don't want to get political in saying this. I, I, I try really hard not to get political. Sometimes, you know, we have to get political in certain matters. But I try really hard not, not to get political. But there are liberal factions, even in the church, but a lot of liberals who like to say, you see, the Bible says we're to take in the foreigner. It's biblical. Take in the foreigner. Take in the foreigner. Take in the foreigner. But yes, here in the Old Testament, bring in the foreigner. Except the foreigner has to be circumcised. You see, grafting. A lot of times, and I say this not to, not to, you know, like, you know, be like staunch about a certain position. But a lot of Christians, a lot of lambs, a lot of sheep are getting into trouble. Because, you know, they heed this counsel of, you know, liberals. Worldly and in the so-called church. I say so-called church because a lot of Episcopals, Lutherans, Methodists, you know, the liberals with their, you know, uh, 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 lesbian pastors. 
They say, oh yeah, bring in the foreigner, bring in the foreigner, bring in the foreigner. See, it's biblical. The Bible says this, the Bible says this, but don't forget, it is also written. It is also written. The foreigner must be circumcised. Grafted in. Don't be deceived. We are living in the last days. Do not be deceived. And you know what? When salt loses its flavor, it's good. The, the it's good for uh, 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 to be trampled underfoot by men. That's what happens when salt loses its flavor. You know what's happening in the church? We're losing our flavor. We're losing our saltiness. We're losing our light. It's getting dim and dim and dim. And I'm speaking for the church at large. But for a very special people. A very special people. A people of the way. You, my friend. You, my brother. You, my sister. You shine brightly. Even as lights dim. Other lights are dimming and other lights are turning off. You. You shine brightly. And you never lose your flavor. Never lose your saltiness. Why? Because it's in honor of the Lord. For service unto the Lord. For his will, for his purpose. Look at what happens here in verse 15. Now on the day, <clears throat> on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. Remember the cloud on the mountain where Moses, when he got the blueprints of the Lord, and he goes up in the mountain and receives from the Lord, outside the cloud was Joshua. Beautiful, beautiful Joshua. And Moses disappears in the cloud, and the Lord gives him blueprint. And then all of a sudden here, where do we see the cloud? It's not on the mountain anymore. It's in the camp. The cloud is in the camp. How beautiful this is. A different people. Israel is different. In verse 16, so it was always, or translates as, so it was constantly. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that, the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would, pinch their, would pit, pitch their tents. You see, God is guiding. God is guiding and his people are following. The intimacy that God has with his people. The intimacy that Israel has with their God. The Lord. At the command of the Lord. And it translates as at the command of the Lord. It's by the mouth of God. The children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord. They would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle. They remained and camped intimacy. God is guiding their steps. You go here. Okay. Let's go here. You go here. And the people are like, yes, Lord, we'll go. Yes, Lord, we'll go. Corporately speaking, you, you, it, you, you see this intimacy, but corporately speaking, you see this obedience, but corporately speaking, you see the people following the Lord. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. 
In verse 19, even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. This kept the charge. It's preserva- how it translates in the Hebrew is preservation of the ordin- ordinance, but as guardians or as a sentry on post, it's to, it's to be on guard for this ordinance, preservation of this ordinance. As a century, as you stand your post, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. They didn't go anywhere. Now, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, and forgive me if it comes off this way, because we see these beautiful passages where the Lord is leading the people. This cloud, the cloud stayed, and what happens? The people stayed. The cloud leaves, and the people leave. They follow the cloud. The cloud stops, and they stay right there, and the Lord is directing the steps of his people. The people are following. But in future chapters, not to be a Debbie Downer, in future chapters, there will be outside influences which become greater factors than this cloud. Greater factors. It's completely understandable. I get it. I understand it. It's not to say it's right. What about outside factors in our lives, in your life, in my life? Outside factors which can possibly dictate our steps. Don't let that happen. A lot of times there are outside factors which impact choices of the Christian, of the believer. Oh, you know what? I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like that. And so therefore, I'm going to do this. Wait a second. What does the Lord say? And... As surely as the Lord lives, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Because you see these beautiful, beautiful passages. But we're going to turn the page more and more and more. And we're going to read more and more and more. And you're going to see that these outside influences become huge factors for Israel. And I say outside influences because that's what they are. They're outside the cloud. Where is the Lord? And you know what? You, you will have, not might have, you will have outside influences. You know, I don't know what they are. You know, outside influence is in any shape or form. You will have outside influences in your life. And I don't want them to be influences. I mean, I have them in my life and I don't want them to be influences in my life. I don't want outside influences in my life. The influence that I want in my life is from the word of God and his will. And that's what I desire for you as well. All these outside influences. Oh, you know, this person says that, this person says that, this person says that, this person says that. So therefore, this is how I'm going to respond. I'm gonna go over here. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna do this. All being influenced by things outside the cloud. By things outside the word of God. 
I'm going to take this, you know, this problem, whether it be, who knows what it is. You can apply all kinds of different problems, all kinds of different issues. But who is the one who will say, hey, stand still that I may wait on the, that I may hear what the Lord will command. Who is it? These outside influences, you know what they are? Noise. Noise. What about the influence of God? You see? What about the influence of the Lord and His Word and by the power of His Holy Spirit? What about His influence upon your life and my life, our life? You see? A lot of Christians get into trouble because of these outside influences. And you're going to see in the camp of Israel, they get into trouble. Remember, an 11-day journey turns into 40 years. An 11-day journey. I mean, you can, getting to the River Jordan, you can say, I like to say less than a month. Because when you look at the maps, you know, you see an 11-day journey from point A to point B. But when you actually look at the River Jordan, it's like, okay, within a month. I say two, week, two weeks, but within a month. But from point A to point B, what the Bible says, 11-day journey. And it turns into 40 years. And it comes at a heavy price because the first generation, they die in the wilderness. It's a heavy price. Why? Because the people... They started to heed the outside influences. They started to make these decisions decisions based on outside influences. And you know what? The Lord responds. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Very reactive, the Lord is. In verse 20. In verse 20, what do we see here? So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command, command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. You see, the Lord is directing their steps. And not just directing their steps. The Lord is saying, here, go here. And the people go. The Lord is saying, hey, stop. And the people stop. They encamp and they stay. So it was in verse 21, when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. You see? Night movement. You know? I love this so much. You know? Nighttime movement. Nighttime's the right time. That's what we always used to say. Nighttime's the right time. By day or night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. I love this. You know what? You know what's so beautiful about that? You have people on point, people on guard who aren't asleep. The camp, it's nighttime. The camp goes to sleep. And then what if everybody's sleeping except you have people on guard, people on post as a sentry. And then all of a sudden the cloud starts to move. And then they warn the people, hey guys, hey guys, the cloud is moving. Let's go. Let's pack up. Let's pack up. Let's pack our stuff. The cloud is moving. Okay, let's go here where the Lord is directing us. You see? Day or night, it didn't matter. Wherever the cloud moved, they moved. You see? Following the Lord. How the Lord Jesus Christ even says, If you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's if you love him. That's what he says. If you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commands. 
We follow after him. In verse 22, whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed and they kept the charge. Remember, kept the charge. It's preservation of this ordinance as, as guardian to be on guard, to stand on post, to be a sentry on post. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord, which is by the mouth of God, is how it translates in the Hebrew. By the hand of Moses. You see this Old Testament example of where God guides, God provides. And you know what? Israel will, will learn. Israel is going to learn right by trial and error. They will learn. But the same thing applies to you and me. Sometimes in our walk with the Lord, in our journeys with the Lord, we learn by trial and error. And you know what? Praise be to the Lord. I don't want to shun those things because, you know, there's going to be times where you fall, where it's like, man, you know, I made a mistake. And it's in those moments where you learn how to walk in accordance to the spirit, not in accordance to the flesh. The Lord shows you by his grace, by his mercy and by his love. He shows you, look, you want to walk according to the flesh? This is what you're going to get. And then you taste of that bitterness and you learn, wow, I don't want to walk according to the flesh. So, Lord, I repent. I repent. Father, forgive me. And in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I'm going to commit whatever. I'm going to commit this to you. Just like the Lord told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And you taste of that bitter water. You taste of that bitterness when you walk according to the flesh. And you, Lord, forgive me. I repent. And then he saves you. He brings you back on the narrow path. You go and sin no more. And then you learn. A dog who returns to his vomit, a pig who wallows in the mud, will keep doing that same thing over and over and over and over. And every time that happens, their heart will become harder and harder and harder and harder. And that is not the way of the circumcision. You see, the way of the circumcision, you're going to have problems. You're going to have issues and you might even stumble. You might even fall. But when that happens, you taste of that bitterness and you repent and you go and sin no more. And you learn and you say like, wow, you know, wow, I I'm not going to sin anymore. No, you're going to sin, but you're going to sin less and less and less. Certain problems that are issues, you know, a month ago, even today, they're not going to be issues anymore. Why? Because you've tasted of that bitterness. And you're going to grow more and more and more and more. You're going to mature in Christ. And you're going to learn not, you're going to forget about walking in the flesh. And you're going to remember about walking in the spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. All for the glory of our Lord. For his name. You see, that's the journey of the Christian. That's our walk with him. And as Jesus Christ says, he says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commands. He's the one who's leading us to paradise. And we follow him. You see? And if you're a non-believer, I say, get in the boat. Join me in this boat. Because we're going to paradise. We're following Jesus Christ. 
God loves you. Repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, at the end of this message, you know, listen to the message, you know, how to receive the Lord, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You may have to scroll a little bit, but seek and you will find. Scroll and you will find. Listen to that and say the sinner's prayer. Join us in this boat, this beautiful, beautiful boat, because we're going to paradise. We're following the Lord. Now, if you are a believer and you know, it's like, wow, you know, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus Christ, but you know what? I don't obey him like I know I should. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. We're going to paradise. You see? We're going to end our study here and Lord willing, we'll pick up next week in chapter 10. God bless you guys. Love you guys.